Why don't you take out your Bible and let's get started together. As we emerge from one of the most difficult years that we can remember, we have to ask ourselves two questions, right? Two questions about 2020. Number one, what did it do to us? What did a year of challenge do to us, right? It was clearly revealing, yeah? I think we all know a lot more about ourselves and about our families than we did before. Some of us learned that we need people more than we thought. Some of us learned that we need church more than we thought. Some of us learned that technology doesn't solve everything, right? And we got kind of sick of that along the way. Uh, some of us learned that when we're tense, we lash out at the people around us. Some of us learned that our marriages aren't quite as solid as we thought they were when they got put under pressure. Some of us learned that our businesses are more fragile than we assumed, right? Did it make us better? There are some of us that really thrived this last year because we finally got the dream of having our family around. Like, they didn't have anywhere to go, right? So we had the kids at home, we had our spouse at home, and everybody was kind of jammed together, and we crave that family experience, and that was marked out as something pretty awesome. Some of us learned that we desperately needed more time with the Lord, and all this cut away distractions, and we actually had more time with the Lord this last year than we've had maybe in a decade before that. Some of us were forced to handle some relational problems that needed to be handled kind of a while before that, and now that we finally fixed them because we had to, now everything is a lot more healthy, yeah? You see, God said that in his hands, challenges can be for our good, right? We know that. It actually comes out of James 1, 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, so you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It was revealing. Did it make us better? Did it make us worse? Right? As a matter of fact, those same challenges in the hands of an enemy don't always work out so awesome. Some of us had our toys taken away, and we got really bitter. Actually, we are more bitter now than we were before the year began. Some of us took all of our frustrations out online, and we lost a lot of friends and a lot of acquaintances. Some of us started some really unhealthy habits in order to compensate and escapism, and now we're dealing with a whole new drama, right? So that's the first question. What did it do to us? The second question, in my opinion, is even more critical, what do we do now, right? I mean, that's the key question. What now? Whatever impact that it had on us, we have a choice launching into 2021 to determine what are we gonna do with what we learned? What are we gonna do with how we've changed? What are we gonna do with how things are now? We got some choices to make. And I'm gonna lead you into the fill in the blank on uh, either the sheet in front of you or that app. If you're following along with the app, that would be great. But go ahead and write this note down. Ready? We must become who we were built to be. We must become who we were built to be. 
Everything's been kind of shaken up. We've learned a ton of stuff, but we are still now becoming what God intended for us. So welcome to 2021. This year at Bridgeway is the year of becoming. We are becoming what God intended, and we have all kinds of designs to be able to help you become who God has made you, who he's planted within you. For whatever reason, God has designed this life to be one based on process. I know not all of us like process. What I like is being able to have a ready-made meal. I remember, and some of you aren't old enough to remember this, but uh, do you guys remember frozen dinners? (laughs) right? Like I'm talking about old school, not the new ones where they're like actually have some health to them, right? I'm talking about old school where it was in a little tray and you put that in the oven and then bing, it was out. I love the idea of instant whatever. I don't like the idea of process of making stuff. Some of you are great in the kitchen. Let's just say that's not my greatest gift. So I don't like the process. As a matter of fact, when it comes to maturing, I don't like the process of learning patience. I just want to be patient, right? I don't want to learn the process of, of finding and keeping and, and, and maintaining friendships. I just, I just want to have friends and move on, right? I don't like process, but everything God built into this life is based on process. I don't know why he did it that way, but he did. Human life starts as a totally dependent child until you grow into independence. Oak trees begin as acorns. Businesses and institutions begin as these shaky startups and then we'll see how it's gonna go, right? Friendships begin with all these questions and then they're built over experiences. Christians start out as born-again spiritual infants that have to grow up and mature. I know we don't like that, but we're all becoming something. We're becoming someone. The question is, are we becoming the person that God designed us to be? And there are ways that we can do that and ways we can go against that. But know this, you are not an accident. You are not some natural fluke. You are not merely the highest of all the animals. That is not actually true. I know that's what you've been taught all your life in in schools and institutions. I'm going to tell you, you are designed, you are purposeful, you are meaning-filled, you are unique, you are chosen, and you are precious. That's what God's Word says. How do we become who we were designed to be? Michelangelo was famously quoted as saying, every block of stone has a statue inside, and it's the task of the sculptor to discover it. He said, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. Hmm. God has a part and we have a part in becoming whoever we are. God has a part, we have a part. God's part is he gives life lessons. And that's really what we've been walking through, life lessons. He does it through circumstances, pain, loss, joy, adventure, discovery. And then internally, God does things like creating inner pressures through dissatisfaction and longing and craving and need and dependency. And then God leads the process of transformation through his word, through the Holy Spirit speaking, through his church. That's his part. Our part is that we learn from his lessons by reflection, meditation, consideration, dialogue, prayer, right? And then what do we do? We direct our passions by seeking God's ways, not our ways, by turning to him in times of need, by harnessing 
our power and by perfecting our processes. We submit to his leading by obedience and correction and alteration and maturing. He's got a part and we got a part. He's got a part and we got a part. He's doing his part really, really well. Life challenges are happening. Internal pressures are occurring. Longing is occurring. Things are calling to us. Things are dissatisfaction-based. So we got all kinds of God's peace moving around. Are we doing our part of the process to join in with him for transformation? That's the key question. So I was thinking, we, don't, we haven't had a whole lot of big emotional disruptions as a society uh, in recent years. The, the closest one I can think of is maybe 2008 when the market crashed and a bunch of people lost their retirements. That was a big deal, especially for a certain segment of our population. And you go, how do you rebuild after an emotional hit? Because what we went through in 2020 was really emotional hit. Even beyond the physical stuff that we went through, everyone having to deal with all the changes and the demands, that was tripping us out, right? So how do you put back together a society after an emotional disaster? Well, I was like, there's not a lot that I know about that. So I went and started looking into research on natural disasters, like stuff in the tangible world. How, do, how did we build back up from there? I was reflecting on the 2004 tsunami that hit Indonesia. You guys remember this? 2004, a tsunami hits the coast off of Aceh, Indonesia. Now, I don't know how much you know about Aceh, but it was, it was under Sharia law. It was under the most extreme, radical version of Muslim control. And it was completely anti-anything Western or anything that had to do with Christianity. But when that tsunami hit, by sheer desperation and need, Missionaries were allowed in for the first time in a really, really long time. And I don't know if you knew this, but that era, that event, launched the modern missions movement of Bridgeway. That's when we got rolling to be able to focus on missions was from that event. I think about 2005, Hurricane Katrina. Anybody remember Hurricane Katrina? Comes in and just blasts our shores, wipes out a bunch of Louisiana, do you remember that? New Orleans really got hit? As a matter of fact, that was my daughter's, and it was way after the fact, but that was my daughter's first mission trip, was going and, and doing some repair and cleanup years and years afterwards because it was so devastating, right? That was the first time I remembered in my life when there was a natural disaster in America that everyone had to pay attention and people said, I want you to come and help us rebuild in the United States. I was looking at a couple more and I was thinking about the 2010 earthquake in Haiti. It was so, that was one of the largest natural disasters that hit that part of the world. They've been open to missionary work and rebuilding ever since. And it's the only reason why we have so many different missions pieces in there. So how do you put back together when something physically blows up like that? Well, I was reading this article from the, uh, let me see here, the U.S. Department of Housing and Development. Wow, that sounds exciting, doesn't it? I'm reading this article, and I was trying to figure out what they have found and learned all these years, and they came up with two really interesting points. 
They should be kind of one of those, oh, no kidding realizations, but it was very insightful to me. The first one they came up with was this. The most important aspect to rebuilding after a disaster is to rebuild homes. And the reason why is everybody needs a safe place or they take their heart out of the situation. Everybody needs a place to settle. Everybody needs a place to be emotionally peaceful. Everyone needs a place to belong. So before you start building businesses and all the other roadways and everything else, you need to focus in on houses because it allows an emotional bond to buy into the rest of the rebuilding. That's interesting. Because here's what it tells me. If we're gonna talk about internal and our rework and redesigning after we went through emotional difficulty, here's what it tells me. If the heart's not right, there's no energy or focus to build anything tangible. We, if we are emotionally bothered by what's going on in the world today, we're gonna to have a very hard time focusing on other projects. Here's what it told me. We have to rebuild from the inside out. You can't build from the outside in. A lot of us just wanna shove our minds over into work and pretend like it's not there. That doesn't happen because you're still agitated. And as long as you're agitated, you're gonna tear down what you build up. And I learned this, you can't just move on. Everybody just wants to kind of wash it and let's just move on. If you've had emotional impact, you can't just move on. You have to process it, then you can move on. The second thing I learned from the article that I thought was interesting was that whenever you rebuild, you rebuild with a proactive focus towards future risk. What does that mean? It means something went down and you got rocked. How do you build to make sure you don't get rocked again? That's what it means. In the article, it said, most people don't prepare for a natural disaster because they don't understand risk or they think it won't happen to them. When you rebuild, you need to think about what we've learned since you built it the first time. You guys think about uh, San Francisco. Y'all historically know the massive earthquake that happened in San Francisco. You can see pictures of it and all that stuff. I can tell you after that, the codes changed on buildings, yeah? So that when another earthquake hits and a number of small ones have hit, everything is built for resilience. It's built with that in mind. They learned a whole bunch. So here's what I learned about rebuilding and thinking about the future in mind. I learned that a rude awakening can be really helpful. Why? Because it reveals wasn't built right the first time. You guys, there was stuff that was going on in our lives that wasn't cool, and we didn't realize how unhealthy it was until the pressures hit of 2020. Now we're paying attention. That leads me to believe that this is our chance to make it better, right? Now that we know, what are the errors? What are the mistakes? What are the challenges? What was so unstable? What was so fragile? Now that we know that, when we rebuild and become what God intended us to be, there's some adjustments we need to make. And the other thing I, it made me think of is that outdated structures don't work. Outdated structures don't work. Jesus talked about this. He used a, an analogy, he said this. He said, you never, put old, you never put new wine into old wineskins. 
And you're like, well, I don't really understand what that means. Well, let me tell you. The, the skins were literally leather. They were made out of animal hides, and you would pour new wine into it, but the new wine had to what? Ferment. When wine ferments, it creates a gas buildup and creates external pressure. So the skin, when you pour it in, over time, it has to give a little bit to allow for the bubbles and all the processing. So if you already have an old wine skin that is already given enough, stretched enough, it's not gonna stretch anymore, and then you put new wine in it, and it now wants to stretch all over again, it just blows up. He said, that's why you always put new wine into new wine skins. Why did he say that? Because Jesus came in to a society and a culture that had done the same thing for thousands of years. Same way, same way, same way. And he was about to make a whole bunch of changes. And people were like, uh, you can't mess with that. You can't do that. And he's like, listen, if you're gonna keep trying to add in the new covenant and what I'm about to tell you into your old system of religion, it's gonna blow up. The only way for you to adjust to the changes I'm demanding is that you're born again as a new wineskin, then you have plenty of give. It's a brilliant concept. But what it makes me think of is perhaps some of the way that we used to be before 2020 doesn't need to continue on. Maybe we need some new fresh wineskins going on because God's now shown us we need to be able to expand a little more without snapping, yeah? So we gotta talk about building God's way. Jesus had this kind of rebuke for his followers. His followers were going along after him and they thought they were doing swimmingly and he came up with this, Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Meaning, why do you keep referring to me as your king or your master when you do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, well, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep, laid the foundation on the rock, and when a flood arose and the stream broke out against that house, it couldn't shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears my words and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. What was his point? And there's a way to build and a way not to build. And if we're talking about becoming what God wants, what are we building? What are we making moving forward? And is it going to last? Is it the right thing? We've seen a little bit of a shaking. What if another thing comes and it shakes us more? Are we being built to be resilient? And he said, I'll tell you, there's materials that are worth it and materials that aren't. He said, it's me or nothing. Paul visited this in 1 Corinthians 3.11. He said, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If you're trying to build your life around anything else and Jesus isn't the center, you're going to have challenges day in and day out. He said, if anyone builds on that foundation with other stuff like gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Hmm. What are we building with? I got an illustration for you. 
and I'm going to have Justine bring it on out here. I got an illustration, and it's not this time directly from God's Word. It's from Sudoku. Real quick show of hands. Anybody a puzzle nerd? You like Sudoku? Anyone? Yeah. Same percentage as in the last service. This is awesome. So I'm totally into Sudoku. You all right over there? Oh, yeah, you made it. Uh, that I'm completely obsessed with Sudoku lately until I got completely beat down by my daughter. That made me angry because when, as long as I was dominating her, I felt better about myself and it was great. Anyway, she has the highest score and stuff like that. So I play it on the expert level and I try to do it really fast. So I don't know if you've got a chance to learn this game, but the game's super addicting. Now, this is kind of how it works. It's a logic-based number placement game, right? And it's very, very simple. Here's the premise. In every box, there are nine numbers, one through nine. In every column, there's numbers one through nine, never repeating. In every row across, there's the numbers one through nine. You just simply have to figure out where the right numbers go so they don't duplicate themselves. That's the whole entire game. So let me give you an example. If we're looking at this one across, we realize there's two numbers missing. Right, so we have one, two, three, four, five, six, we're missing what? Seven and nine, because we have an eight. So which one's seven and which one's nine? Well, if you look down here, we realize there's a nine already in that column. So this one can't be nine, it has to be seven. That makes the other one nine. Now, if you're gonna try to check this box, you realize, you go, okay, what numbers is it missing? It doesn't have a two. Well, this row cuts out all the twos, this row cuts out the twos, that leaves it right here, right? So we have a two. Now, anybody know where this game came from? Any guesses? I guess Japan, right? Because Sudoku is a Japanese word. The answer is no, <laughs> right? You know where it came from? New York. <laughs> New York City, guess what year? 1979. Boy, that's pretty recent, huh? They started publishing it, and they never called it Sudoku, and they don't to this day, the first publishing company. They just put it out as a numbers game, and they've been publishing it pretty consistently since 1979. It caught on in the 90s in Japan. They renamed it Sudoku, and then it got popular and bounced backwards to the game that we know right now. Now, here's what's interesting. It was actually, this concept was started by a Swiss mathematician in 1783, but it wasn't a game. It was a mathematical strategy to say you could do a block or a brick of nine cubes and make them all fit together. So for him, it was about serious mathematics. We started screwing around with it in 1979. You're like, well, this is fascinating, Pastor. What does this have to do with my life, right? Well, I have an answer for you. Whether we are still becoming and there's nothing wrong, we're just still becoming what God intended in our normal lives, we have some squares to fill out. We just gotta make sure to keep adding in the right numbers in the right squares. Because what happens if I put a two here? Problem is, it's now duplicated and that would throw that one off. If you throw one block off, it throws the entire puzzle off. And you can't solve it. So whether or not we are just building our normal lives and we just have more to grow, we have to be very clear and purposeful and intentional about what numbers we're putting in what category. Or whether 2020 knocked our squares all over the place and now we look like Swiss cheese, 
That might be another reason we need to build strategically or whether or not we realize some of our numbers are not and have never been in the right spots. We need to rebuild appropriately. Hmm. How do we become what God intended? Well, there's two things. They sound easy. They're just a process. Number one, discern the will of God. Number one, discern the will of God, Psalm 127. I quoted, it at, I quoted it at almost every wedding I ever did. And it's this, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Listen, whatever premise you're going to build your life upon, if God's not in the process, it's gonna go askew. It's just how it works. So the first thing we must do is discern the will of God for our lives. Who did God make us? Because here's what's fascinating. Do you realize that there are thousands of options of Sudoku puzzles? How can you do that? Because if you move numbers around, then the whole thing resets. But it always can be solved appropriately. But all the puzzles look different. You can't put a two where I put a two. Your puzzle's different. Your puzzle still gets solved. My puzzle gets solved, but they're very different. We just have to make sure that we have our numbers, whoever we are, however God's designed us, in the right place. That means that we spend a lot of time seeking who he is to learn who we are. So that leads us to step number two. If the first one is discerning the will of God, what's the second one? Engage with the Holy Spirit's process. He knows how to make you better than you know how to make you. And he's gonna do all kinds of stuff. Your job is to respond appropriately, right? So what did he give us to help build us? Well, listen to this passage, Ephesians 4.11. And God gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why? To equip the saints, that's you, for the work of the ministry for building up of the body of Christ until we all, what does all mean in Greek? All. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. Here's the point. When you are becoming you, the way God will form the unique you will be with us, community. In a day and age when it is so tempting to just tailor everything to what you want to hear, you miss the very formation process. One of the greatest things about church is having the pastor say irritating things. Why? Because it's not in your normal loop. It brings challenge and debate, and it shines a light you won't normally shine. 
But nowadays, we think that we don't need it. And we can zero in and just listen to what we want to listen to. That's not going to work. It's the same reason why, as a church, I've always taught through the whole Bible. Old Testament, New Testament. Prophets, history, gospel, epistles, all of it. Apocalyptic literature. Why? Because God crashes us into stuff we wouldn't normally want to talk about, right? And this is what God's word says. How does God form us? 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So what does this mean? How do we partner with the Holy Spirit in this process? It means self-reflection and giving some time to figure out who you are so we can put the pieces back together. It means putting in effort, like praying, reading the word of God, getting connected to a small group or a missional community. It means intentional strategy where you actually have to think through, who am I becoming and is that the person I want to be? Or do I need to redesign something? It means partnering together to grow as one. Where else in society is there an institution that is fully focused on you developing spiritually than the church? Where else are you gonna go? Because your only other option is to salad bar it yourself. And are you sure you always know what you need? Hmm. Here at Bridgeway, we have so much planned this year of the year of becoming to help you become who God has designed you to be. You ready to hear it? Here's what we're gonna do this year. We're gonna kick off next week a brand new mini-series called Learning to Lament. We're gonna walk through the book quickly of Lamentations to learn this process. How do you restore in a godly way so you can move on? Remember I told you before, if you're emotionally wrecked, you're not moving on anywhere because you'll keep wrecking what you're making. So what does the Bible teach us about moving forward? It talks about processing now with God. We're gonna walk through a mini-series with you on that. Then we're gonna kick off a series in the book of Nehemiah called Building God's Way. And we're gonna learn how to build in the face of opposition. Because here's the reality. You guys, just because the date just changed over to 2021 doesn't mean everything's fine, right? We still have challenges, so how do we build rightly while things are hitting and distracting us? How do we keep our focus? That's what that's gonna be about. Then we're gonna go through the book of Daniel. I don't know if you've got a chance to go through the book of Daniel before, but we entitled that Daring to be Different, and it means how do we become who God made us in a hostile environment? Daniel was not comfortable in his environment. We aren't either. How do you become everything that is rich and good that God has made you in a hostile environment? Then we're gonna do a mini-series through the book of Esther. It's called Jars of Clay. We're gonna look how God took one normal woman and allowed her to change the course for all the Jewish people. We are all vessels of God with the Holy Spirit that allows us to have his power flow through us to change the world. And then we wrap up the year with a series called Resilience through the book of 1 Peter. Once again, how do we live counterculture with Christ in a new covenant era?
Wow. Lamentations, Nehemiah, Daniel, Esther, 1 Peter, and we're throwing in sprinkles of John in there just in case you need a little bit more gospel. What's the point? The point is there is so much that we're going to consistently pour into you to make sure you are becoming who God wanted you to be. And be encouraged, right? God is so much better and more interested in making you full and complete than you are. Think about it this way. Doesn't the book of Philippians say, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it? Man, be confident. Know that God's gonna walk you there because what God builds is stronger than anything we could build, amen? He knows how to do it. Think about what he said about his church in Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When God builds it, it's built to last. Amen? Amen. Well, let's go ahead and pray, and I'll let you go. But let's just take a little bit of time to focus on the Lord here as we close out. Heavenly Father, you're the only one that knows. You know how each of our numbers get set up. You know how each of us are unique. You know that we can't just copy someone else. You know we can't just accidentally live. You've taught us all that in your word that there are ways to build our lives that matter, that last, and that are honoring to you. Lord, our whole point in being here is to connect with you and bring you glory. So I pray right now, Father, that you would inspire us, that you would light a fire of becoming, that you would light a fire where we submit to your ways, that we lift you up not only in our minds, but we lift you up in society. God, I'm praying that you would show us new and exciting revelation and vision so that we might walk into this year with anticipation. You have been so good to us. As Christians, Father, we walk through 2020 knowing that our Heavenly Father was in control. And we do the same thing for 2021. It doesn't matter what comes. We have always been in the palm of your hand. For that, we praise you. And we know that in that same palm, Lord, we are like clay. And we ask that you would mold us and shape us into exactly who you built us to be, that you might be glorified. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.